I mean, when I think about a project and who you're building trust with, I kind of look at it on three different levels. There's the trust you need to build with the senior stakeholders that are going to be supporting your project. There's the trust you need to build with your team. And there's a trust you need to build with whoever the customer is, whoever's paying the bill. Hello, and welcome to In Trust. My name is Lisa Lambert. And my name is Rick Kitagawa. And thank you for joining us for our show about the greatest asset for leaders, organizations, and communities alike, trust. Today, we're excited to chat with Kieran Bondale, a project management expert and senior consultant at World Class Productivity, Inc. Kieran has worked in project management for over 25 years in a multitude of roles, including project management office, leadership, delivery, and consulting. Kieran's an active member of the Project Management Institute, or PMI, which is the professional organization for project management, and he's contributed to multiple PMI standards and practice guides, including their flagship guides as well. Kieran is also a prolific writer, speaker, and trainer, contributing his insights and expertise in project leadership to a wide range of audiences. He's also the author of Easy in Theory, Difficult in Practice, 100 Lessons in Project Leadership. But before we dive into the conversation with Kieran, a quick word from our sponsors. The future is now here, both in the metaphysical sense as well as the book sense. Our new book, The Future is Trust, Embracing the Era of Trust-Centered Leadership, is now available in both ebook and paperback formats on Amazon and most places where books are sold online. So go get your copy. We are so excited to bring this reimagination of what a leadership book can be. And whether you prefer a clean text centric ebook or the full color photo paperback experience, we've been intentional in cutting out the fluff to bring you a book full of actionable and practical insights that will help you build the trust needed to help your organization thrive and build a resilient culture. If you haven't got your copy yet, visit thefeatureistrust.com to pick one up today. And if you have got your copy, we would love an honest review on Amazon. Trust is better together. So we hope you'll join us in our quest to make the world a more trustworthy and trusted place and get your copy of The Future is Trust. Kieran, so happy you're here with us today. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thanks so much, Rick. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. I'm so glad. And for other people who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Uh, I'm a trainer and consultant focused in the project management and delivery space, supporting people that want to improve their organization's delivery capabilities, whether that's business projects, technology projects, any type of projects, following traditional approaches or agile approaches. I'm a firm believer that a pragmatic approach to delivery that combines people, process, and technology is the surest path to success. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to diving into this conversation with you, Karen, especially because you have such a long track record in project management. And it's clearly something that you're passionate about and you're passionate about getting other people passionate about it as well and seeing the value that it can bring right across the organization. So I'm curious to know, and just setting the, the stage here a little bit, what drew you into the field of project management in the first place and what lights you up about it these days? 
It was actually for myself an accidental journey, which is similar to for many other people. Very few people, I think, at an early age say, I want to be a project manager. People say, I want to be a policeman. I want to be a soldier. I want to be a doctor. A project manager, really? It seems like such a boring profession. And so when I graduated and I started my first job, it was in the technology space. I worked in technology for about four or five years before I had the fortune of having a manager that saw that I could be doing so much more than just getting my hands dirty in the weeds of technology. And he challenged me. He said, I'm going to send you on this project management fundamentals course. I'd like you to go through it, go with an open mind. And when you come back, if you're not interested in pursuing this, I'm totally cool with that, but I want you to give it a fair shake. And uh, as it turned out, uh, serendipity, the course was being held in New Orleans, which is just a wonderful city to go to, to meet maybe like-minded individuals, have great conversations, lots of great places to go see both in and outside of the city. And something just clicked for me. And I said, you know, rather than focusing on being an individual contributor, helping to act as more that uh, conductor of an orchestra to bring together a bunch of different skilled contributors and create a whole that is more than just the sum of the parts. That is just cool. That's what I want to spend the next stage of my career doing. And that was 25 years ago. And I haven't regretted uh, the journey once. <laughs> That's so awesome. And there's a lot of things I heard in that answer, Kieran, that I want to kind of pull on. And I think a lot of people who are maybe unfamiliar with project management tend to see it from the outside as this thing about making sure everything's on budget, making sure everything goes on time. But I think there is so much more thoughtfulness and knowledge, skills and techniques. It's, it's very much an art of also doing those things, the budget, the time in a way that supports the people. And I can hear that care and thoughtfulness as you talk about what drew you to that field in the first place. And I would love to know what led you to shift away from that outsider view of what project management is towards something that's very people-centric and built on trust. I would love to say that my very first project was that shift and I became people-centric from the get-go. Unfortunately, that's not the case. I was coming at the profession from a very analytical technology perspective. The hard tools of project management are what really attracted me initially. The thoughts about creating the world's most elegant schedule, creating a perfect budget, having every risk captured. And so I made a lot of mistakes in my early days as a project manager by focusing too much on the process and the tools, the hard skills of the profession. And it was really only through a combination of a school of hard knocks, but also great advice from some mentors that I was able to start to shift my thinking to realizing it is a people-focused profession. The only way you're going to succeed in a sustainable manner with projects, especially as they get larger and more complex, is to focus on the people and not just your team members. I'm talking about your customer, your sponsor, stakeholders in general. If you don't pay attention to your stakeholders in all respects of that word, in terms of respecting them, in terms of staying responsive and communicative with them, understanding where they're coming from, meeting them where they are, and being fair with them, not always necessarily being nice, not always doing what they say, but being fair with them. If you don't really embrace that, you're never going to be a great project manager. I really appreciate your candor, Karen, and talking about that shift and how you were learning. I want to get into that a little bit more with you because what I'm hearing your answer as well, and just knowing you as well and working on a, a collaboration with Miro, 
something I've seen is you've got this incredible self-awareness, situational awareness, and people awareness that all comes together in the work that you do. And I've seen you as you've project managed for us so generously and how that comes together. And it's actually, to be honest, it's made project management really fun and it's gotten me excited about it. And I'd love to dig deeper a little bit and looking at that transition you've seen from coming at project management initially very much from that analytical tool side, this elegant schedule to shifting it over to being more people-centric and trust-centered. What's the difference that you notice in how a project goes when it's centered on, on the analysis or centered on trust? When you focus a lot too, uh, too much, I would say, on the hard skills, the focus is on the outputs, it's on the artifacts, it's on the deliverables. And in those contexts, you could oftentimes deliver a project within the famous triple constraint of scope, schedule, and cost. But when you shift it over to the people side, when you take that more people-centric approach, the shift becomes more to outcomes. It's more about not just are we helping the sponsor and the customer realize whatever benefits they were hoping for by investing in this project, but are we also helping the people that are engaged in the project, the stakeholders, the team members, others, are we helping them to improve themselves, to better themselves, to maybe get closer to realizing their purpose, to improving their mastery of their craft, giving them some autonomy. And I think that's the real key is that you tend to play the short game when you focus on the hard tools of the profession. You're playing the long game and you play more with the people on the people side when you're, when you're focusing over there. And I, I have seen earlier in my career, I was a PM that did this, but I've witnessed other PMs that when they focus too much on the hard skills, you get that famous cliche of the operation was a success, but the patient died. You get yourself into situations where your customer contractually might be having to sign off to say, yeah, you met what we told you to do, but you may not get repeat business out of it. Or you might get a team that says, yeah, Kieran was by the book and did everything that he said he was going to do and kind of took us through the paces. But would I want to work with him again? I don't really think so. And I would way rather be in the situation where I have a project that maybe doesn't go by the book, by the numbers. Maybe we're, we're over budget. Maybe we're behind schedule. Maybe we don't deliver all the scope we were supposed to, but I've delighted the stakeholders. I'm leaving them in a situation where they say, I felt like a respected professional. I was treated as such. My opinion was respected and I would love to work with this guy again. If that to me is, is, is way more encouraging and rewarding than the former. I really appreciate where you're, you're taking that Karen. I think what you're sharing in the project space really echoes a lot of the work Rick and I do when it comes to organizational design and change design, because you can brute force your way through change. You'll get the change in the moment. It's not going to be sustainable. That leader, that, you know, commander, if you want to call it in that place, when they step aside, the change will likely reverse on that, or you'll see people look for the exits really quickly as well. And we're seeing that actually in a lot of conversations with companies right now as they're trying to navigate the pandemic or what they're calling return to work in this bit as well. I'm curious to explore a little bit the sustainable view. Like you're playing the long game when you're looking at project management, which I think is really interesting because you can look at projects as being, you know, here's a fixed activity through time and you're seeing beyond that and transcending beyond that. I'm curious if you've got some stories or some lessons relating to playing that long game and building that trust for the long game that stand out to you over the course of your, your experience and career? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think playing the long game extends to almost any stakeholder that you deal with, unless you're in a purely transactional situation where your involvement with those stakeholders is going to cease the moment that project ends. 
you really have to start thinking about what are the consequences of how I behaved over the life of that project. And even if you are in that transactional, maybe independent consultant or contractor kind of mode, the reality is you're going to need references. You're potentially, it's a small world out there. Those people might meet you on another project down the line. You want to have left a good taste in their mouths. Earlier in my career, I worked for a company in the healthcare space, and I was sort of the new kid on the block within their project management office. And as would be expected, my boss, the director of the PMO, didn't want to throw me in the deep end with some large company complex project, but he started me off with some smaller ones to get that sense as to how does this person operate. After I had delivered those, he started to get a good sense that I was somebody that was interested in building bridges with other people, whether they were starting off on the right foot with me or the wrong foot with me, I always wanted to try to build those relationships. And that stood me in good stead because about a year down the line, we had a very, uh, I would say, troubled project that was highly visible at a higher executive level. And out of all the people within the project management office that my, my boss could have chosen, my boss picked me to take over from the much more seasoned veteran PM that had managed to get themselves into trouble with that project. And he kind of parachuted me in there knowing that because the root of the problem was relationships, that I could find my way to muddle through it. And maybe we wouldn't be able to hit the triple constraint, but we wouldn't be in a situation where the PMO would have entirely alienated this line of business and their stakeholders. And we were able to kind of pull that iron out of the fire and save, uh, save the day with the relationships I was able to build with the team, but also with the trust that my boss showed in what he had seen from me before. That's so cool to hear, Kirid, in that it's really plain and evident that playing the long game is beneficial. In, in that, you know, like that story even just illustrates exactly how by building trust once that pays dividends over time and in an extended fashion. And I would love to know a little bit more about how you think about going about building trust with others, because I think this seems to be a really core part of the project management experience for you, at least. And I would love to know if there's any stories or any specific instances where you could share with our listeners about building trust with a team? Sure, I mean, for me, trust goes along with another word that starts with T, which is transparency. So I find that increasing transparency in, in what you're doing, how you're working, can help to build trust, especially when we're dealing with stakeholders outside of the project. I mean, when I think about a project and who you're building trust with, I kind of look at it on three different levels. There's the trust you need to build with the senior stakeholders that are going to be supporting your project. There's the trust you need to build with your team. And there's a trust you need to build with whoever the customer is, whoever's paying the bill. When I look at the senior stakeholders, I find transparency is a really good way to go about building trust. If they know you've got nothing to hide, if you're willing to kind of open up the kimono, show them warts and all, here's what's going on. Over time, they are likely to give you a lot more rope to run with. They're likely to trust you more. When it comes to whoever your customer is, I think transparency is very important, but I think also integrity and also communicating in a very crisp, clear, effective manner, not beating around the bush, not trying to watermelon report the status of your project. If it's red, it's red. It's not green on the outside, that kind of a thing. We want to make sure that we're being as authentic with our customers as possible. One of the lessons I always teach my students in project management classes is projects are uncertain. 
things are not going to go the way you planned. You are likely going to be given a project where one or more constraints appears to be challenging, if not impossible to achieve. That's okay. What you want to do is to have those difficult conversations with stakeholders, especially the customer, as early as possible. If there are sources of risk, if there are things that concern you, if maybe the customer has an unrealistic expectation for what's going to happen, have those difficult conversations as early as possible. Yes, that may not be the best way to create that relationship from the get-go, but over time they will respect you. It's way better than surprising them down the road. Quickest way to lose trust with a customer is to surprise them. Second quickest way to lose a trust with a customer is that whole fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. It's if, if you make a mistake and you promise to fix it and you don't, then you've completely lost whatever trust you might have had with them. They will never want to come back to you. So kind of do what you say, operate with integrity, be transparent. When it comes to the team, building trust with the team is treat them like professionals. One of the biggest mistakes I see for project managers is they believe that because the, the kind of the buck stops at them, it's their throat that's going to get choked if something goes wrong with the project, that they have to now treat everyone that's working with them as potentially school children that can't be trusted, that have to be sort of nagged, that have to be followed up on constantly, that have to be assigned work. And that's not how you go about building trust or inspiring intrinsic motivation from your team members. Treat them as professionals unless they give you a really good reason not to. And on top of that, I would recommend be authentic, be vulnerable. Project managers are not expected to be superheroes. If something's going wrong, if you've made a mistake, express that vulnerability in front of them. If you don't do that, if they see that you're putting on this air of being kind of Superman, for example, one, they're going to lose trust and faith in you. But secondly, if they actually buy into that illusion, it's creating, I think, a false sense of security around authority figures, which is not what we want to see from our team members. Rick is smiling big time. So am I right now. Our listeners can't see this, but they might hear it in my voice. I just want to drop the mic right there, Karen, because I think that answer is not only a masterclass when it comes to people-centric project management or project leadership, but I think there's so many practical insights you've just shared about trust building when it comes to leadership writ large in that one. And I want to kind of double click down on one area that I think project manager leaders, wherever um, authority figures, if you want to say, tend to really struggle with. And I think you've tapped into this, this area right now where control is the opposite of trust. And I think when people you know want to have that control or feel like you know I've got to manage everything, it quickly goes to micromanagement, and they pull this away or they you know don't treat their team members as professionals. That transparency becomes really scary in that because it's just trying to hold control of all all these pieces of it. And the lens that you're bringing is to me this trust centered approach that's total opposite of that control paradigm on that. And I think that's a really scary thing for a lot of leaders and a lot of project managers when it's their neck on the chopping block. So I'd love to know from your experience and in your, your teaching of project managers as well, how do you nudge project leaders to let go of that control a little bit and lean into trust a little bit more? Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, where, where I've tried to, to guide or advise has been to always ask that question, what's the worst that could happen? And I look at it from both sides, right? I provoke the question from both sides. I say, what's the worst that could happen if you trust your team 
and something goes wrong. And then I ask, well, what's the worst that could happen if you don't trust your team and you micromanage them, you push work onto them, you're constantly chasing them down, think, think it through and I have them do the what if. And invariably what we tend to find out is that if you trust your team and you have the safety net in place, you have the checks and balances to make sure that if something were to go wrong, that it's not going to fester, it's not gonna become a showstopper, then in that case, it's a very small, it's a failure with a very small F. People are gonna forget about it a week down the line. But if you start to treat your team members like resources, uh, not as value contributors, if you start to micromanage them, what you're creating there, again, is that long-term impact. You're eroding their sense of self, you're eroding their confidence, and you're eroding the trust that they place in you as their leader. These are not going to be people that are going to want to work with you again when you go down that road. So you could end up in a situation where you've kept your primary stakeholder, the customer, happy, but you're going to have a team that no longer wants to work with you. And, and again, unless it's a purely transactional mode, that's not a good way to operate. And unfortunately, sometimes that willingness to let go of control, to be more effective at delegating, to delegate the stuff that feels scary to delegate, it's really tied also to something that's near and dear to me, the concept of psychological safety. We as leaders are responsible for creating psychological safety within our teams, but we need to feel safe as well. And if the stakeholders that are supporting us, if our manager, if our customers, if our project sponsor and other key senior stakeholders are creating this toxic environment where they're making it very difficult for us as a project leader to feel safe about taking a chance on our team members, then we're left with that decision. Do I do what's right for the team or do I do what's right for myself? And I've been fortunate in my career. I've, I've been, I've had the confidence to walk away from roles where my principles were at risk of being trodden upon, but I had that, that, I would say that confidence. I know that for many people, it's a scary thing to say that, um, would I be willing to walk away from a project? Would I be willing to walk away from a job if my leadership was putting me in a position that forced me to operate in a way that goes against the way I would like to treat my coworkers and my team members? It's a very tough decision, and it's oftentimes it's very much tied to psychological safety. One, wow. I appreciate so much in that answer, Kieran. This has been such an amazing conversation so far and super valuable. And... To take it back a little bit, I loved how you started off with just asking the worst case scenario question, but from both sides, because I think oftentimes people try to just ask on one side of like, what's the worst that could happen? And then you're not actually weighing it against the downside of the status quo. And I think asking it on both sides really makes you see that stark contrast of, okay, well, worst case scenario might be better short term, but long term, it's completely disastrous. And I love that way of opening up the conversation, which really, at the end of the day, is mitigating risk, which really goes back to what you've been sharing about psychological safety. And you mentioned how having the confidence to walk away from potential roles where you could see that it wasn't a good fit with your leadership style. And I would love to hear a little bit more if you've ever been in a position where it had started out as something that you felt comfortable with and then it changed into, or maybe it was sold as something you, you could get on board with and then it actually was completely not. Because I feel like well, a lot of companies 
sell their culture or sell a product in or a team a specific way. And then you do your best job through the interview and vetting process. And you're like, okay, this seems legit. And then when you get in it, the environment is completely different. And I would love to know if you have any advice for people in that situation that have had sort of the bait and switch. And if you've seen any success, maybe bringing something around where and actually making it succeed. Right, that's a great question, Rick. I, I, I definitely can point to times in my career where uh, it, it sort of felt like what I was presented during the onboarding process or the interviewing process was almost like the demo. <laughs> and then when I started the role or I started the gig, it was absolutely nothing like what, what had been positioned. I, I think back to a large consulting organization I joined very early in my career. I was there for two days, two days to recognize that the culture the real culture, which was evident, was way more toxic than what I had been shielded from over the course of the interview process. But I can certainly point to one, one instance earlier in my career before that situation where it was one of my first people manager roles. And I've been asked to bring a person on board. We, we had a vacancy in the team or we had a need to staff up our team. And what had been made clear to me was that I was in charge of that decision. The, the buck stopped at me, at least as far as hiring that individual went. And I, I went through the usual process of contacting various individuals, recruiters and so on, got a bunch of applications, interviewed a bunch of people, found a great candidate, perfect fit for our needs. Culturally, I felt would be a great fit within the team. This was in the, uh, the late 90s. The, the individual was, uh, I would say, somewhat unique in their way of dressing, certainly not radical, certainly not unprofessional, somewhat unique though in the way that they, that they dressed, the way they looked. And when I was ready to make the offer, I'd made them a verbal offer. They had actually gone to the point of speaking to their existing company and let them know that they were likely going to be moving on. My boss's boss stepped in, had a, having just run into this candidate while walking out with me one day and said, who is that? And I said, well, this is so-and-so and we're planning to bring him on as, our new, as one of our new consultants. And my boss's boss just turned around and said, no. And that just bored me. I went to my boss and I said, well, wait a minute, help me understand this. This individual interviewed with other people within our team. You seem to be happy with him. I'm happy with him. Can absolutely do the job. What's going on here? And he said, well, I can't really go up against my boss. And that's where I felt, wait a minute, my principles now are on the line here. I've kind of gave my word to this individual that they could come on board with our company, that they would be granted employment. They've gone and sort of verbally resigned from their existing company. You're forcing me to go down a path that just, I can't look at myself in the mirror if I stay here after that. And I promptly turned in my resignation. Thankfully for the candidate, they had worked with that other company for long enough that they had built up enough trust and uh, relationships that they were able to sort of reel back that verbal resignation. So it didn't leave any lasting damage for them. But in my case, I said, you know, this is just, this is, this is uh, a bridge too far. Thanks for sharing that story. What a rotten situation to, I mean, for the candidate for yourself to be in that. And I think it also goes to show your integrity and your leadership and taking that, that stand that you did, which is not an easy, an easy thing to do. Not something that everyone can do either. But this topic of psychological safety, I think is really important. And just looking at the trust and respect that underpin it and how you build that. And we were talking a little bit before we hit record on this as well is just, I think when it comes to creating psychological safety, most people don't reach for project management as the first tool they'll go to, or even think about 
how project management can be a really important tool in building psychological safety. And this is something you've written about a fair bit and have explored a fair bit. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your insights where you see that connection between project management, supporting and creating and fostering psychological safety. Absolutely. And maybe I think for those that may not be as familiar with what the concept of psychological safety is, the idea is same as physical safety applies in, in physical workplaces, construction sites, we need to wear our hard hats, our, our steel-toed boots. Psychological safety is making it safe to be ourselves, to take chances, to take risks, to be authentic, to fess up when we've done something wrong, to innovate, to be creative, to speak up when we see that something might be causing us problems down the line. If, if we don't feel psychologically safe within our team context, none of those things will apply. We will prize our short-term personal security over the long-term benefits to ourselves, to our organization, or to society in general. And in the context of projects, it's extremely important because projects are short-lived endeavors. If you have a project team that's comprised of people that are coming from many different areas in an organization, they may not know one another. And so they're starting off with Bruce Tuckman's ladder. They're starting off at that basic forming level. They're just getting to know one another. And, and trust might be at that default level of the organization. So I trust you because you work for the same company as I do, but I don't really know you. So I'm going to be a little bit tentative. And safety, we may not feel as safe necessarily. So are we going to fess up right away if we've made a mistake? Are we going to say for making an assumption? If we believe there's something fundamentally flawed with the uh, vision for the project, are we going to speak up? Probably not. And so that's where a project manager has a tremendous amount of influence over that. They can first educate the team and stakeholders on the importance of psychological safety, but then they can start the process of building it. And one of the best ways to do that is to create working agreements with the team. So if the team understands what psychological safety is and they value what it means to them, then have them be creative about how do we create a safe environment? What are those working agreements and how we're going to interact with one another that can create that type of safety? Other things you can do, if you've got a meeting or a decision-making situation, which often happens on projects, especially early in their life, we're defining the scope, we're figuring out our approach. Whenever you have a decision-making meeting, it's a great idea to appoint somebody in the team, have them volunteer or volunteer, but make it safe for them, have them designated as the devil's advocate. So that's the person that is going to be going out of their way to find flaws with the decisions that are being made. They're being given permission to disagree. By showing that it's okay to disagree, over time, there's going to be muscle memory that builds up. And you want to rotate that role around the team. I think it's also important, it's true of everything with leadership, we got to model the behaviors that we expect from our team members, which means that we need to create that safe environment in terms of how we interact with them. So when a team member comes to you with potentially some negative news, how you react to it, not just what you say, but also how your physical presence is in terms of that receding that negative news is extremely important. If, if the team member feels that that negative news is going to cause them to have their head bitten off, probably they're not going to bring that news to you as, in as timely or responsive a manner as possible in the future. Other things that we need to do as project managers is we are supposed to act a little bit like the buffer for our team between, between our team members and other stakeholders. Things are not always going to go the way our stakeholders want on projects, but rather than having those stakeholders go after our team members, criticize them, attack them, 
sometimes as a PM, you've got to be the shield for that. You've got to be willing to take an arrow for the team. And that's a great way to show what it means to support one another within the team, to defend one another that way. And the final thing I'll maybe say is, I think to be vulnerable. It's extremely important that we as leaders, as project managers, have the confidence and courage to be vulnerable. If we don't know something, say we don't know it. If we feel that we've made a mistake, apologize, fess up as quickly as possible. Those are all ways to go about creating psychological safety within our teams. I love all of that. Thank you so much. I, that was just a treasure trove of practical information. And you know, you basically just, from creating the safety around being a devil's advocate to show dissent and normalizing it, to having the working agreements, to being the example of the culture that you want to build, I think are all fabulous, fabulous tips for creating culture and building trust and psychological safety. And the last point you left off on vulnerability, I think is really tough for people because I feel that there's probably an inverse correlation between one's ability to be vulnerable and one's ability to trust in oneself, or I guess a positive correlation between those two. Um, and so I would love to know from all of the things you shared, Kieran, your care and integrity, and I feel confidence really comes through in your role as a leader. And I would love to know how have you built that trust in yourself? Because especially a lot of this is emotional labor. It's difficult work. It's difficult conversations. It's hard to go to a boss and say, this isn't jiving with me. I'm going to leave. Or it's hard to go to a client and say, like you said, you know, we are a little bit behind or we're not going to hit this scope. And I think I'm just super fascinated into how you've built up such a strong character and that trust in yourself over the past years. I think it comes down to constantly challenging myself to take on new experiences. So there are some project managers that stay sort of in one industry, one vertical, one size of company, maybe one company in total, and, and they never branch out. Over my career, I forced myself to take on different engagements of different complexity, different industries, working for, with everything from startups to much to huge organizations. And I think that depth and breadth of experience always forces you to be humble because you're always pulling yourself out of your confidence zone, putting yourself into something where you literally know nothing and you've got to rebuild yourself from the ground up. And when you do that over and over and over again, it starts to build up that confidence that it doesn't matter what you throw at me, I'll figure out a way to get myself pointed in the right direction. Might not be the best performer, but I'll make sure I can make some, some lemonade out of those lemons. That sort of thing. You're touching on a concept, but I'm hearing you, you said the word confidence and being humble. And Rick and I talk about this concept of confident humility a fair bit in our work and kind of the sweet spot to land in between those two. And I think it's a really difficult tightrope to walk, especially at first, but I think it's something that you model throughout everything that you do. And a lot of the practical insights you've shared, I think help embody that confident humility as well from being transparent to fessing up to going and just trying different things and, and growing your portfolio and growing your skill set in these different areas as well. And you're someone, Kieran, clearly, who's deeply committed to sharing your knowledge, your insights, training others that you've developed over the course of your career. 
And your book, which will be sure to link to in the show notes as well, is full of practical insights. I really want to encourage listeners to pick that up as well. But for now, across this whole treasure trove of what you've just shared with us, I want to invite you maybe to just curate something, especially maybe for a less experienced project manager who's going through a hard part of a project. If you were to give them one piece of advice or one insight to help them move forward, what might that be? Focus on the people. As long as you're focusing on the people and treating them in a fair fashion, um, not hiding information from them, doing what you're going to say you're going to do, doesn't matter what problem you found yourself in on a project. Projects possess uncertainty. Not one project is going to go exactly the way it was planned to. That's why we do what we do. But if you focus on the people, if you don't isolate yourself, which can be the tendency, oh, we got this big problem, I need to lock myself away in my office and figure it out. Focus on the people, engage the team, get that whole to be greater than the sum of the parts. You'll find a way through it. And even though you might have to take some licks in the short term, in the long term, you will grow and you'll be better from it. You're way better off constantly focusing on the relationships. That's how you're going to become a great project manager. I love that. So generous. And I'll be a little greedy here and ask for another bit of practical advice. But I think there's a huge conversation around, like Lisa said, the the return to work and, and things changing and opening up in various states of the world after coming out of a global pandemic, which is still going on in many, many parts of the world. And they're experimenting with a lot of new ways of working. And there's a lot of uncertainty, like you mentioned here. And is there any advice you would give to a larger organization around how they should, or something they should keep in mind as they're thinking about successfully managing projects in a way that is a little uncertain, but that also builds trust? I would say always lead with empathy. They, they need to recognize that projects are not going to happen by sort of like clicking our fingers and saying everyone's back in the office or everyone's working this hybrid model, make it happen. It's the people that make projects happen. And if the people feel uncertain, if they're feeling afraid, if they feel they might be marginalized, if they're working remotely compared to their in-person colleagues, uh, you're not going to get the best out of it. So lead with empathy understand where they're coming from, understand, ask them for their fears and doubts. If an organization is looking at making a shift, get focus groups together, get a good representative sample of people that are going to be working in each of the different modes and and listen to them, actively listen to them and try to incorporate their ideas into the final solution. Otherwise, yes, people might be feeling uncertain. They might be uh, worried about more change. But this is also the time when if people are pushed too far, they could easily jump and look for another job. So the last thing you want to do after this great period of uncertainty is set yourself up for a situation where because of what seems to be a simple decision on paper, you end up losing some of your most talented workforce because you didn't leave them with empathy. I think that's a wonderful insight to wrap up with. And it makes me think of the title of your book as well. Easy in theory, difficult in practice might work on paper, but in reality, you're working with people and and being people-centric, putting them first, practicing empathy, which is hard work and such needed work as well. Kieran, this has been an absolute delight. You're so generous in sharing your your insights. And I, I just really admire the work that you're doing. I think you're reframing project management for a lot of people. And by putting people, by putting trust at the core of it. And I think the way that you do that as well, 
I think helps a lot of people who might've been turned off by project management originally really see its value and get excited about it for the work that they do. And I'm curious as we wrap up, if you can share what's on the horizon for you. <laughs> That's a great question, Lisa. Uh, the horizon for me, I think, is uh, I did the transition to teaching about four years ago, and I, I really enjoy sharing what I've learned about this profession uh, on a much broader scale, people working in many different companies and industries. I, I love doing that. But uh, I'm also, with our impending move to the Niagara region, I'm looking forward to an opportunity to maybe explore another passion of mine, which is the winery business, and looking at maybe uh, starting off by volunteering with a, with a winery, maybe in the front office area. I think my dream would be, uh, as I get closer and closer to retirement, it would be to actually facilitate wine tastings. Because I think you, you think about the perfect people business to be in, you get to meet all these new people every day that want to learn about what you're passionate about. And I don't think anybody shows up for a wine tasting in a bad mood. So talk about having the perfect customer base to work with that way. <laughs> At least they show up in a bad mood. They don't stay in a bad mood. And I can, I can just envision you doing that, Karen. And I also have to say just Niagara region has delicious, delicious wines as well. So what a dream job to leap into. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I I will anxiously await taking a trip over there to you once you've established yourself as a uh, wine tasting connoisseur. In the meantime, Kieran, where can people find out more about you and get their own copy of your new book? Absolutely, Rick. So uh, easiest way to look me up is uh, just look for my name on LinkedIn, Karen Bondale. There's only one out there. If you want to kind of get more of my thoughts, be able to tap into some of the ideas I've shared, my blog is kbondale.wordpress.com. There's a link on the homepage that'll take you to Amazon to be able to pick up a copy of my book. And the book is really, it's, it's that field guide that distills a lot of the lessons I've shared through the last 11 plus years of writing. And so if you've liked what you've heard, uh, I would definitely encourage you to pick up a copy. Brilliant. Karen, thank you so much. We will link to all that in the show notes. Again, this has been an absolute treat and looking forward to the time where we go get to clean glasses together and enjoy, enjoy some wine. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Lisa and Rick. I really appreciate the opportunity. Take care. Thanks so much. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Trust is better together, so if you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with someone who you think might appreciate it, and don't forget to leave us a review. The In Trust podcast is produced by Spotlight Trust, where we help leaders and organizations put trust at the center of their work so that they can achieve more than they ever thought possible while adapting to our fast-changing world. If you'd like to get in touch with us, simply email podcast at spotlighttrust.com dot com.